0: Welcome to This Must Be The Place, the show that reveals the unique physical, cultural, and emotional layers of places. You know, whenever we begin a creative endeavor, whether writing a novel, composing music, or producing a podcast for that matter, we sometimes struggle with what literary critic Harold Bloom has called the anxiety of influence. In a nutshell, it refers to this overpowering awareness of others who might have done something similar to you and the impact that might have on your own approach. As I started this podcast, I knew that Atlas Obscura, an online guide to discover amazing hidden spots and share them with the world, was a kindred spirit with This Must Be The Place. I have no anxiety about Atlas Obscura. On the contrary, I am excited to have one of their Seattle field agents sitting across from me today. Eric Magnuson describes himself as a writer, master griller, And more importantly, for our purposes, silence filler. So, Eric, thank you for helping me generate some sound waveforms today. You're welcome, Eric. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk with you today. Yeah. So let's start by giving listeners an introduction to you and to Atlas Obscura. But let's start with you, though. Can you give us a sense of who you are, what are your passions in life, and how did these propel you into becoming a field agent for Atlas Obscura in particular?
1: Okay. Yeah. I um, I guess I always start with some manner of introduction that includes the fact that I'm not from here. I'm from Wisconsin originally. I think place for me does oftentimes factor into the conversation. I've um, very much adopted Seattle, but I always refer back to Wisconsin. You know, Wisconsin for me was kind of an idyllic country kid upbringing. I grew up in the far northern rural part of the state, and I always go back. I have family back in Wisconsin, but I think long ago I actually dreamed of being a metrosexual or getting to a city setting that would allow me to have more of an anonymous in the mix sense of myself in the world, and you know I was a artistic um, and athletic kid, but I was always interested in getting into cities. So I didn't really think too hard about where I was going to go to college. It was kind of the first city within reach. I went to the University of Minnesota for undergraduate in the Twin Cities. And I, I very much enjoyed the fact that there I could set aside some of the artistic stuff that I had performed, and I could watch other people do so that were actually much better at it. So I you know i'm dating myself but i came of age kind of at the tail end of the replacements being really influential in the minneapolis scene music wise being pretty important nationally so i spent a lot of time seeing music and getting a sense of what was really i think normalcy in the music scene there even though there was a lot of attention i i was fortunate to I just cross paths as a fan with some folks. And, you know, everyone name drops, I suppose, to a certain point. And for me, I saw Prince in a normal setting and or as normal as you can see Prince. And, and you know, I crossed paths with Dave Perner when Soul Asylum was really breaking through and he was dating Winona Ryder. And I was very impressed with the fact that everybody sort of seemed like a relatable clown like me, to a certain degree. And, you know, my life path thereafter, it it certainly wasn't focused upon these sort of anecdotes. But I moved on down the line in terms of urban identity to Seattle, did some traveling after college, but ended up in Seattle. And the draw for me has factored back into what I'm doing now with Atlas Obscura. But Beyond the arrival in Seattle, I you know, I did very well in life. I married up, and I followed my wife to some very interesting places. We've lived in Texas. We've lived in Vermont. We've lived in San Francisco. And about 11 years ago, we moved back to Seattle, and kind of all along the way, professionally, because one still needs to pay the bills. You know, I've written for basically for whatever format will pay the bills. And so over time, I always had artistic aspirations, but I was sort of writing for the job much of the time. And I have to say that I'm very glad that now my personal interests and professional interests have crossed in the form of having this Atlas Obscura community here to do some work with in Seattle, because I do think that it, brings together many of the things that i've been very fascinated by and focused upon and it gives me an opportunity to be creative and maybe try to tell a good story about the places that i find to be especially interesting
0: and for people who really don't know what exactly or for those who know actually what exactly is atlas obscura people might be familiar with them as a type of alternative travel guide but it seems to be so much more than that what makes them different I I like the
1: introduction that the CEO David Plotz has used often, and it's it's as if National Geographic and Vice Media had a baby, and that that baby is Atlas Obscura. So there's for me, at the very least, there's more of a focus upon the the Vice News, the Vice Media, the the edgy, immersive journalism idea, but. You know, Atlas has many components. It has not just the idea that they're selling something because they are selling things like events that you can attend in cities like Seattle and New York and Chicago. And then there are also international trips, but there's a publishing venture. Much of it is really, though, based off of the original idea, which is a crowdsourced Atlas that presents a real definitive guide to hidden places that I think many of us are looking for, especially for going to a place we're unfamiliar with. And the Atlas itself is not really a bucket list. It's kind of a a Yelp for people that are concerned with having a good story to tell. And Yelp is probably a terrible example <laughs> to use. But mm. nonetheless, I, I am always refining the way that I describe Atlas Obscura, and I think that's part of the beauty of it, that it is this sometimes intangible uh, experience of people trying to explore. Mm. And I'm a small part of that and enjoying the fact that I'm trying to figure it out along with everyone else.
0: So it's crowdsourced in the sense that it's open for people to put pins, so to speak, on the Atlas, but they're also communities that form with a little more organization to try to find those those special hidden places. But I'm wondering, what are the features that make a place curious or wondrous and a fitting candidate to be covered by Atlas Obscura? I mean, clearly it's not here's the Empire State Building. <laughs> what yeah. are the, the properties of, of places that deserve that kind of featured presentation?
1: It's an interesting question to define what makes something curious or wondrous. I think that it's more of a not that you know it when you see it, but that you're going to know it better when you hear the story of the place. So much of the atlas on the website for Atlas Obscura is derived from the stories that individuals have contributed to say, here is in Seattle, Washington, one of many dozen places, including the mystery soda machine up on Capitol Hill, just off Broadway. And you know should that be on someone's bucket list? I think maybe
0: and what is this mystery soda machine of which you refer? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well that's one of the many popular Seattle sites you know you go put coinage that it's taking and you hit one of the buttons and it's an old Pepsi machine and you see what you get out of it and I've seen in in other locations similar sort of you know the prize comes to you but mm-hmm. no one ever sees the soda machine loaded up and it's sort of always been there it's as Mm. if the city built itself around it
0: and you know over the years it seems that Atlas Obscura has grown by establishing societies in cities such as Seattle New York San Francisco Philadelphia and other places and they have also recruited a crew of field agents of which you are one around Mm. the country what do these societies and field agents do how do they amplify what Atlas Obscura is all about yeah well there's something of a critical mass in the
1: seven cities that currently have a obscure a society. And it, it tends to be that you have a city of size and you have a city of registered uh, explorers or people that are just members of the email list that we send notifications to, to say, we are having these events upcoming. They are ticketed events. What I've seen thus far since Seattle launched its obscure society just back in October of 2016 is the people that show up are people that not always, but often have a long standing connection with Seattle. I do think there's a desire to create communities in many different forums and Atlas Obscura is providing, I think one of those communities for people that are by their nature exploring, even if it's exploring in a city that they know very well and have lived in for quite a long time you know we're We're one of many options in a larger sense of what is entertainment. I think if it's entertainment that amounts to immersive journalism or
0: collective experience, Mm -hmm. that's really good entertainment. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, because I'll give you my personal narrative about how I came to Atlas Obscura and became aware of them. I think it had to do a lot with it. darker, if you want to call it goth, if you want to call it macabre interest in places and cities. So, cemeteries, underground tours, places where murders, occurred and i don't know if that's a function of my interests and my filter and how i came into atlas obscura or is there something about atlas obscura that started there and then expanded into other types of personal narratives and stories about cities basically is it only me that came in through that angle or is there something in the history about atlas obscura no
1: I, i certainly don't think it was only you i think that there's a general fascination with the macabre and Those types of sites, you know, I looked at recently what are the top sites worldwide. And now on the overall atlas globally, there's over 11,000 sites. And the top site was the catacombs in Paris. And there are many, many sites that are either related to suicides or death or all manner of the dark type considerations. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it provides for some people a place where the content has focused on, it's okay to talk about the dark suicides and murders and these are scary places, haunted houses. But oftentimes it's done with, I won't say a satirical angle, but certainly a humanizing angle that says, you know, and these places are right around the corner from you. If you look at Seattle in particular, this is a city that was built on vice, that was built in the late 19th century on the idea that it was sort of the end of the line. And if you were looking for a place for prostitution and gambling and drinking and all manner of, of the dark side of life, it was to be found in a city like this, Deadwood by the Salish Sea. And yet some of those locations, some of those stories are to me and i don't think only to you and i the most interesting so they float to the top sometimes
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. and could you give listeners an overview of the types of tours programs and events organized by atlas obscura not only in seattle because we want to talk about one specific tour that you organize, but across the country what kind of programs and events are organized as a result of this. Yeah, sure. There's There's been a lot of focus on
1: historical events. And here in Seattle as well, that's for me been much of my consideration is what are the interesting chapters of history. But there's a lot of focus on the creative arts and people that do sort of out of the mainstream type creation. And I'll use one example locally. There's a woman named Nico Cox who... Has an amazing uh, shop in South Seattle where she repairs music boxes and all manner of. Uh, she's an antiquarian horologist. So she, you know, it's like shaking it's, my head. Yeah, <laughs> I, know. I know. So it's somebody who fixes clocks and old music boxes. And just as a side reference, if anybody listened to the podcast S Town, on uh, from the serial producers that main character was also an antiquarian horologist so there are people that that have very obscure interests very much along the lines of things but nico cox has this amazing wonderland of a shop with all kinds of creation going on there and so we do events where you go in and you get to see how do you break down and work on an old music box or an old clock. And it's those types of really interesting creative pursuits and the historical pursuits that I've already mentioned. And then really sort of surprising hidden wonders that you're given an opportunity to explore. And here in Seattle, we've certainly done things that have had a focus upon the military, the aviation industry, and there's a lot of local character that finds its way into the types of events that are offered. So we're we're developing our brand. Let's mm-hmm. use that terrible corporate speak mm. and say that we're we're focusing upon different types of events. But the probably the best collection of events to look at if people are really interested is this coming Saturday, uh, May sixth. There's, it's called Obscura Day, and it's an international event, and there's 175 events that are worldwide, and that's a real good broad sample from one day. But then after that day, there are events every month, and here in Seattle, we always have a couple of events a month since we launched in the fall.
0: So lots mm-hmm. of stuff coming up. I, I don't think, know. I don't know if that answered, but it doesn't. I think what we'll do is link uh, to to some of those events and especially Obscura Day twenty seventeen in, in the article that accompanies this podcast. But let's get a little specific and dive into one of these tours. Sure. And it's the one that you offer in particular for Atlas Obscura here in Seattle, and it's called or correct me if I'm wrong, it's called Grunge Redux. And you provide a walking tour with a personal narrative about the emergence of the grunge musical movement in Seattle in the 90s. So give us a sense of what the tour is all about and about the landmarks you take people to experience. Yeah, that for me
1: was, was a really challenging and personal and awesome experience to try to put together. I'll just give a brief bit of backstory. So when I moved to Seattle, I moved in, 93. I spent a lot of time going out and seeing bands. Every every dollar, which were very few that I had to spend, I seemed to go out and get together with friends and go see music. And I thought, if we, my friends and I, were trying to lead people down the path of what we appreciated from that era we would have a tough time making it a real cohesive area but i thought we could start with belltown and there were a number of landmarks there was our favorite club to go to the crocodile cafe now, the croc opened april 30th in 91 and to a certain degree it was kind of like a living room for people in the bands and it wasn't in any way a scene sort of place. It was just a very comfortable place that was also a great venue for CM music. So thinking about not only the Croc, but then other places, other bars in Belltown that we spend time just experiencing that era in, I would always, I had one very close friend named Bob Wayman. And unfortunately, Bob's not with us anymore, but Bob and I would generally start at the Croc and end up at the Five point. And Best jukebox in the city and best people watching in the city. And, you know, in addition to just this sort of pub crawl sensibility, for me, it was important to look to, you know, where really was sub pop located within that era? Where were the offices, those people that worked in those offices that had the contact with the musicians and the various levels? And
0: sub pop is the record. Subduction, precisely
1: yeah they were very influential in their ability to choose well and yet they were always bouncing checks and having the difficulties of the cliche of the slacker of the time and so what we did what i did with my grunge redux tours i essentially started from the Moore theater and you can look from out front of the Moore and see the old terminal sales building which is where sub pop's original offices were and we were able to kind of walk a circuit stop by the current sub pop's offices stop by a few clubs stop by this really wonderful practice space that is uh, in an alley along the way that Pearl Jam and Soundgarden used and there are many stories to be told many of them personal but along the way in less than 2 miles to get eventually to KEXP's new gorgeous studios in the Seattle center you get a broad scope i think of mm-hmm. what one little piece of Seattle then but more importantly for me Seattle now where it, where it appears to be Seattle's been very good over the many many chapters of its history of papering over what had been the boom at the time mm-hmm. that ephemera is in many ways changed by you know now everyone's concerned about belltown's condos and and the the difference in development there well so, yeah. it's yeah. you know it's quite different than it was and
0: you know, it's interesting when i take those kind of uh my own personal tours whether it was going to berlin in order to experience the the faded days of berlin techno um going to you know bombed out clubs that you know are 10 years after their heyday or whether it's going with my wife to Athens Georgia to see that music scene there is this interesting phenomenology of experience when you're in these places you're, you're slightly excited that you finally come to these seminal epicenters of, of things that you're very passionate about but at the same time there's a little erosion of over- thoughts that you have in your brain and i guess there are at least two kinds of people in the world yeah. people who feel disappointment or people who actually appreciate that kind of erosion and balance and now i'm here i'm experiencing it i get a sense of in a way the banality yeah. of the place that created this great scene it's 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 a paradox almost you Absolutely. want to be part of that you want to experience it to somehow demystify it so that you can feel part of it yeah that's very odd
1: yeah. and and just maybe as an anecdote related to that, I think one of the places that I spoke of and other people had experiences with was a bar on First Avenue, the frontier room and the frontier room was not a musical venue; it was a place where most people spend at least a little bit of time and When I was telling stories about the frontier room as one of my favorite places and other people had the experience of that being remembered so fondly. And the frontier room went through these terrible next chapters Mm. where they made it into a high end barbecue joint. And I think now it's a Mexican restaurant and it appears to be a sort of friendly family place. And that's, that's all good. But everyone that had a shared memory of the frontier room remembered that they had one bartender who was just tough as nails and she was really never friendly to anyone. And it was appreciated because she was so unfriendly and to romanticize that connection mm-hmm. would be rather ridiculous, I think, as we all came to realize, like, man, it's it sucked to have to get a beer from her because she was never happy to serve anyone. But she ran a great bar and everybody there, I think, was there because once again it was what you did. It was shared experience. So I I don't want to get into the business of romanticizing something that would be false if it became a romantic sheen mm-hmm. i think honesty is something that hopefully many of us want to share and that for me was really important and it goes back to tone and the way that i wanted this to be a, it's a high wire act to try to step back into That past, which it's really wrong to say that it's mocked, but, you know, there's a lot of mocking Mm -hmm. when it comes to just referring to the term grunge. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I understand that. And I just want to be honest about the fact that it was nonetheless completely entertaining. Mm -hmm. And it was a sense of place that, that meant a great deal to me at the time.
0: Is there a particular memory or anecdote about people's experiences as they go on your tours or engage with your programs and events that sticks in your mind that has really left a lasting impression?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm very proud of being able to get a reaction to one story that for me was pretty central and pretty much what I was thinking about when I was playing around with this as a tour idea. And... This is where I sound like I'm going back to one of the dark days and trying to capitalize on a memory of that, but the day that Kurt Cobain was discovered after his suicide for me is something I've revisited often, and I'm very glad that people have reacted to it positively if if you don't mind, I'd just kind of do that recap. Um, I was in grad school, and that was April of ninety four and a friend of mine worked for a Public relations front for the local music industry. It was really in response to Tipper Gore's group, and this her group, this my friend's Lisa, was called the Washington Music Industry Coalition. And they were in the same building as the Rocket local paper. And when the news hit the wires that Kurt Cobain was discovered, the phones just rang off the hook. And Lisa called my friends and she called me and caught me at a lunch break and said the world is freaking out we're bugging out we're going to two bells which is a bar restaurant on fourth in Belltown." so i made my way down to two bells and the bar was full of people and it was the middle of the afternoon and everyone was talking about what you'd expect they'd be talking about and there were many people like Lisa, that had gotten out of their offices. They worked, in some respect, connected to the music industry. And the thing that really kind of anchors it in time was Seattle used to be a two-newspaper town. You had the P.I. in the morning and the Seattle Times in the afternoon. And after a little while, everybody's talking and drinking and and trying to figure out what this means for Seattle. Somebody comes in, like it's the 1950s, with a whole armload newspapers. It was the afternoon PI and goes around and starts handing them out to the tables. And the thing that sticks for me was how the room for a little while just quieted down. And people were reading that first real local report, other than the TV sort of twenty-four hour news reports. And it quieted down and newspapers were passed amongst the folks at the different tables. And after a little while then noise started to rise and Rise and rise again. And then we were kind of back to what it was before. But that break, that sort of shared moment where everybody was taking the time to see what others were saying about it, that kind of was what I saw as the soul of Belltown and the soul of the reaction to that, the import of that news. And, you know, to step back now to the moment that we're sharing when I've talk to people on the tour and I, I stop on 4th and you look down a little bit farther and you see the recording studio that the Wilson sisters own and you can look around and see all these other points on the map that are the current and past of the music industry or the music scene or just the life of music here in Seattle. That was
0: really something that allowed me to connect with people in the past and in the present. So, okay, Okay. let me play you an audio clip of a conversation between Anthony Bourdain, that people know who he is, and Matt Golding from the site Roads and Kingdoms, as they walk through the Gothic Quarter of Barcelona. And this is taken from explorepartsunknown.com. So let's listen to this clip and then I'm going to ask you a question about it. Okay so this is like the
1: very very heart of barcelona this is the gothic quarter it's been absolutely crushed by the forces of tourism over the last 10 years basically since you know you've been coming out here don't blame me dude i don't know i don't know
0: plus you know how can you complain you're part of the destructive process well, this, as am i this look is, what you're doing now this is People this will is see this and say look it's beautiful let's go
1: but this is the dilemma right you know killing what you love yep how do you, how do you handle that? Uh, alcohol.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so how do you manage the tension between appreciating a unique grassroots movement such as grunge, but at the same time treating it as a cultural moment that is encased in glass? Is there a danger of watering it down, of, of killing what you love? Absolutely. And I
1: think that the real danger is trying to represent something as definitive like this is the experience that you have to know if you're going to know this place or you know, even more complicated terms this place at this time i i think all you can try to do is provide something of an earnest and real clear window that people can look through themselves and can experience themselves because if it's scripted in the experience of say grunge to say this is what happened at this date in this place and that is why it is then you know you're you're never going to you're never going to provide people an honest experience i think mm-hmm. my my job as best i can understand it thus far is to do my research so that i can know the signposts that i can point to things that were in order what occurred and in this case, in the case of my Grunge tour, I had some personal experience as well. Provide a bit of that and try to be really as good as I can at linking it together with places. Mm-hmm. Maybe some people are going to walk away and say, "Ugh, I'm really glad that Grunge is over. And some people will maybe see, well, there's, there are through lines that come into modern musical movements and there's reasons to say that that you know those waves of crashing noise from back then reverberate
0: still. You know what strikes me when I came into this conversation with you my assumption was that bringing grunge as a tour the danger was to over trivialize it or to over commercialize it or to somehow dilute it by presenting it but another angle that you're presenting is that there's already a cultural movement there that treats it as a relic or as a curiosity rather than an authentic movement. That didn't even occur to me, and I guess that betrays my, <laughs> my, my age as well. So, Okay, let's jump out of the grunge scene and, and out of Seattle for a bit and pull the sure. lens out. And What do you think are the conditions that must be in place to generate these great places, whether we're talking about cities, neighborhoods, or, or historical scenes such as the grunge movement? What, what's the magic sauce? Yeah, the magic
1: sauce, I mean, it's partly preservation. I am absolutely pro-development and not to the point where, you know, it's madness and and unbridled, but you have to have preservation. And what really is preserving, I believe, is the storytellers or the, the folks that collect in some way the histories and in some way, whether they write about it, talk about it, put it on the Internet. You got to, you got to preserve what's been there or otherwise, you know, we are all just totally ephemeral and we're going to lose the places that are really
0: interesting and valuable so i think that's an essential starting point yeah, it's reminding me of one of my favorite films wings of desire where yeah. the angels are walking with a very old man who's walking through a berlin that he doesn't seem to recognize anymore because of the wall and development and he's actually in, i think he's called homer yeah right the poet that keeps yeah. our collective memory and so on can you tell folks a bit about a little more about obscura day 2017 that's coming up on may 6th isn't it and what is that yeah. day all about It's been an opportunity for us
1: to shine a spotlight on how we do many different kinds of events. And here in Seattle, we, I believe, have eight events. We have bounced around the numbers a little bit, but there are a lot of different things that we're offering, including one event that I'm involved in that draws on the energy of other people's work. In this case, it's the Ghosts of Seattle Past project that was a performance art project. Uh, A lot of active, involved people putting together what became an anthology. We're going to do a walking tour through parts of the Central District to the International District that will then feature a number of people that are contributors to this Ghosts of Seattle Past anthology. And the ghosts are lost places. It's very much a you know, similar mission to Atlas Obscura mm-hmm. and and your interests. Um, but that's just one event we have. Many other things that are focusing upon Fremont and the Town Hall's Pipe organ, which is going away. And Branjan Davis, who's a local writer icon who does fabulous creative work in the journalistic sense, is the writer in residence at Town Hall, and she's gonna let people see what the pipe organ looks like from behind the scenes. And you know there's distillery tours and cemetery tours. And at the end of it, there's a sort of after party up on Capitol Hill that I think, unfortunately we've sold out, but there are plenty of, Opportunity is still available for people to check out at least one event here. And if you're not listening in Seattle, there's events all around the country and all around the world. I think it's 25 states and 35 countries that are involved. So we're, we're spread pretty wide.
0: Yeah, I would recommend not scheduling the distillery tour overlapping with others. You should just funnel all tours into the distillery tour at the end. Exactly. Where can people go online in order to learn more about Atlas Obscura and about you as well? Uh,
1: Well, the basic uh, starting point should be atlasobscura.com. And I do have an author site if you're looking for me specifically. I'm Eric E. Magnuson. There are other Eric Magnusons out there. Um, ericemagnuson.com. We, within atlasobscura.com, you'll see the website's pretty straightforward. You'll see their events. And if you look to events, there are the seven cities that are places where we have obscure societies that are featured. And go to Seattle, you see not only hidden places, and we really do want people to contribute their own. And if you have ideas for things that we should be trying to get community out to experience, to learn more about. Drop any of us uh, email off of the links that are pretty obvious there. And then once again, the events that we have scheduled show up generally six weeks before the events are going up. So I've got a few in June that are about to be posted. One is going to center on Georgetown and the Georgetown steam plant and a lot of interesting points down in that neighborhood. And then later in the month, a Seattle baseball history focus where very few people realize that before you're looking at the Mariners and the pilots who were a major league team here for one season, there was a long history of nine ballparks and minor league teams and one failed year of a West Coast Negro League that was here in 46 and lots of different stuff that's connected to that.
0: And I will add links to the show notes slash web that accompanies this podcast. But before we wrap up, I'd like to take a moment to express my gratitude to Shin Yu Pai, the head of the Seattle Obscura Society. She and I sat at the Top Pot Coffee in Belltown one afternoon and realized how aligned Atlas Obscura and This Must Be the Place really are. And it was her suggestion to sit down with Eric Magnuson. And boy, am I happy that we did. So Eric, thank you for being here today and for sharing your views, stories, and and those places that excite you. Thank you so much, Eric. I'm totally a fan of what you're doing here. So I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, stop. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening don't forget to share, like, or leave a review about this podcast since all this activity helps us get noticed and grow. I would also love it if you visited theplace.io where more podcasts, videos, and written content live. In fact, on that site, you will find a page where you can take a deeper dive and learn more about Atlas Obscura, more about Eric Magnuson, and get a handful of links letting you explore the themes we covered, including a link to Obscura Day 2017. And as always, you can subscribe and receive the latest, greatest episode on your favorite app and device. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play. Just take your pick. And one quick note. I'll be taking a quick break, so the next episode will hit the wires two weeks from today. Hang in there. You can do it. Until the next time, this must be the place.